Welcome to the Ultimate Dentist Podcast. Join us to hear success stories of various individuals and learn clinical and life hacks to help you become the ultimate dentist. Hello and welcome to this uh, the Ultimate Dentist Podcast. And today I am excited to introduce James Martin. Thank you very much, James, for coming to our podcast. I know how busy you are, uh, but uh, you know I know you're going to give us such a value because I've been on your course, and you know I have uh, got immense value. And uh, you know, big fan of you. Uh, your energy is infectious. I wanted to be around you all the time so I can gain all the knowledge you have. Um, you know, everyone knows you because you're everywhere, but people who don't know you, could you please introduce yourself and, and tell us who you are, what do you do? And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Thank you for that intro, my friend. And likewise, Dev, I learned so much from Maranji as a fellow enthusiast of getting yourself out there on the internet. It's amazing to watch your journey and I'll help you anywhere I can, just like I can with anybody else, because I know how much fun it is and I want everybody to experience this side of life. So for anybody who doesn't know me, my name is James Martin and I I, I suppose I'm most known for running the Dentist Who Invest Facebook group, which is something that I started about two years ago and then spontaneously out of the blue no one was as surprised as me when a lot of people started to join and gravitate towards it. And now it's become what it is. I left dentistry about a year ago to focus my efforts on that because it's not seven days a week, it's eight days a week or nine days a week if you want it to be, but I'm having a hell of a lot of fun. And the whole point of Dentist Who Invest is that it gives dentists the necessary information to grow their wealth and manage their finances. And the idea is so that you don't need an IFA or an FA or a CFA, at least at the start of your career, because you're empowered with knowledge to do it yourself. And a whole host of all other things, which we will delve into, I'm sure, as the podcast goes on, which which, 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 which Dentist Who Invest is also involved into. And it's an absolute privilege and an honor to run it. And thank you for that kind intro, Dev. Likewise, I feed off your energy too, my friend. Yeah, amazing. Thank you very much to be, I mean, uh, to, to, to spend some time with us. Um, so in, in this podcast, I try and record um, everyone's journey, whoever, you know, have achieved success. Uh, I want to record that journey to see where they were before and how they became uh, successful the way they are right now. And the hope is that the, the dentist would learn from that, from your journey and, and, you know, shorten their success journey uh, by learning from you. So let's start with, uh, because you are a dentist. So um, could you tell us why did you decide to do dentistry? That is a great question. And the short answer is I kind of fell into it because I found myself in a situation where I was in careers class and we had to fill in our UCAS forms which I am unsure if those are still a thing. I might be slightly showing my age there, but those were the, the those were you had to use the UCAS organization. It basically coordinated applications to universities across the country. So you applied to UCAS and then it distributed your application on your behalf. So it meant that you didn't have to apply to about well, 50 different universities. It cut down the legwork. And I remember being in that situation, the pressure was on the teacher had given us ample time to decide what we wanted to do for our careers. And I, of course, being a teenager, had left it to the very last minute. And I thought, you know what, let's go for dentistry. If you aim high, 
If you aim for the moon, if you miss, you're going to hit the stars to use the old slightly cliched adage. But I do believe in it. I do think that in that metaphor, that's slightly trite. There's a good lesson in there somewhere. And that was my logic even at that time. So probably maybe slightly precocious and wise beyond my years, because that's something that I still live by to this day. So I just kind of went for it is, is, is the honest answer, Dev. But I knew that within there, there would be components of things that I liked. Science, I did like. I believe that I had a decent degree of manual dexterity from my gamer days when I was a young young man, a young gentleman. And I thought, this, shot, this sounds like fun. This could marry both of these things. Let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. And that was it. I kind of just fell into it. Wow, great. Um, you know what? This is something very related to mine in the sense that um, I also fell into dentistry. Um, I, I mean, I was never, uh, I didn't think about dentistry, but uh, the, the turn of event happened that, you know, I'm, I'm into dentistry, I'm enjoying it. Um, so how did you find your um, undergraduate years? Again, great question. And the honest answer is I didn't really fall in love with dentistry until probably sometime after my foundation year. However, I, I did enjoy it. I, I, I believe my first three years, I took my eye off the ball, uh, admittedly. I mean, I was there to get the pass mark. Anything more than the pass mark was considered extraneous work by myself. I, I considered that I'd done too much work at that point. I'll be totally honest. Fourth and fifth year, I knew there was, there was a few things that happened. Uh, there was one particular exam, and I, I put the effort into it, but it didn't quite. There was only one exam that I ever didn't pass the first time, and it was in my OSCE in third year. And really, I actually feel like the fact that I didn't, I wasn't successful in that the first time was probably the kick up the backside that I needed, really. And then what it meant was fourth and fifth year, I practically lived in the library. I still had fun. I still got out and about. But I realized at that point that I actually needed to really apply myself if I wanted to be successful in this. So, yeah, undergraduate years, I had a good time at university. I definitely got all the partying out of my system, which was actually a good thing for me because it meant that I could be more focused when I was out in the big bad world, dentisting, so to speak. So after my foundation year, I found it so tough. I, I really felt like there was a huge learning curve treating patients regularly every day. However, when I got into my first real job, I really realized that I enjoyed dentistry and I thought I was going to be a dentist forever. But there's, as most people know, there's a little bit of a plot twist uh, coming up or that did come up in my life. Spoiler alert, I suppose. But I think the cat's out of the bag on that one anyway. And it's got something to do with dentistry and vest. But anyway, I'm sure we'll delve into that at some point. Yeah. So um, how did you find your first few years of uh, undergraduate? I mean, did you, did you were you sort of, uh, did you feel that you were prepared uh, in your undergraduate years? Do you, did you think that you were well prepared to, to start your first job or you had problems? And, you know, um, what was at that point, what did you think? Sorry, at that point, what did you, what was your vision? Does that, you know, we all have vision uh, that in 10 years time or 20 years time, I would be doing this. Totally, 100%. So my, my vision was to be the greatest restorative dentist there ever was. I was so focused. I feel like for me, there's always going to be, I feel like it's in my character somewhere that I have to, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it incredibly well and do it right. So for me, what was in my, my field of vision right at that very point was being the ultimate dentist. 
So I went out into the real world. I, I, I realized that, well, it's like, you know, that version of university dentistry that we all know at the start, it's kind of like in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, you know, until, and I, I thought I was a hot shot. I thought I knew it all, particularly when I, when I realized about a year and a half into my dental career, when I was out in the real world, that NHS dentistry, it felt, it felt easy to me. It was just the same stuff over and over again. But for me, in my, in my, again, in my field of vision, I thought that that was all there was to dentistry. But then a completely seminal course in my life was Paul Tipton's restorative course because he taught me that there was way, 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 way more to this stuff that I ever thought there was. So for me, the challenges at the start once I'd overcome those, I'd realized that I had some sort of aptitude at dentistry. I was, I was super happy in my dental career. For me, however, like I say, those first, that first year before I realized that I'd fell in love with it, it was tough and it really had me questioning whether or not it was for me. Because the thing about dentistry is, you know, you really do only learn by doing. But the thing about it is the only real place that you can actually practice it is when a patient's in front of you with their mouth open like that so you have to wait you have to bide your time until you're next in surgery in order to get some experience in but what it meant for me was that because of that I found it slightly frustrating because I was like I want to improve I want to get better but I have to wait for this very moment and at the very very start your work's never going to be the same standard than it is as you go through life and you really do only learn by experience and for me I always felt so sorry for the patient because I was like these people are getting the short straw because I'm still a learner I'm still a beginner at this and that was really hard to cope with mentally because I wanted to be the best of the best from day one but that's just something that you had to bust through but once I realized I had some sort of attitude at it I was a happy chappy and that was when I really 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 began to focus and knuckle down on specifically dentistry and that's where I thought I would be forevermore at that point a year and a half into my career. Wow. So at one point you thought that, you know, you wanted to, you know, be a restorative dentist and you focus on doing that. Um, so when did the, the, the finance thing came in, in, in the picture? So how did you, how did you sort of, uh, went into finance? Because it seemed to me that you were really focused and you're really gunning for it. You know, I, as you are, you know, whatever you do, you're doing it with a hundred percent sort of, you know, um, focus. So how did you then come across finance? Here is the thing. It was one, it was, I suppose it was, I, it was always in the back of my mind that I knew that you could only get so far via working. And I always thought to myself, okay, but here's what I, if I want to get past a certain level in terms of wealth, yes, you can continue working as a dentist, but I have to figure out how I can grow and invest my money as well. And about a year and a half into my career, I realized that there was I actually had some financial abundance for the first time in my life. And I thought, okay, where can I put this wealth? How can I grow it? How can I make it work for me? And I was always curious. Now, how that journey began was 2017, the end of 2017, there was something called Bitcoin that was on the news. And whilst it wasn't the first time I'd heard of Bitcoin, I only really had this superfluous relationship with it in that I was, I was, I was kind of looking at it from the outside in, but I had no real awareness outside of the times that it was in the media's eye or it was being spoken about, spoken about, i.e. whenever the price was going crazy up and down. So I always knew there was something in there. It kept resurfacing in my life every once in a while via the media. And I was all, always thought to myself, wow, that looks interesting. That looks exciting. So 2017, 
crypto was going through its boom period at the time, one of its boom periods, which happened periodically every four years or so. And that was the time where I thought to myself, okay, I need to get in on this. I need to understand how this works so that I can grow my wealth using this as a method. So I knew that I wanted to be involved, but I also knew from my limited knowledge of finance that it was likely in a bubble. So what happened was Bitcoin went up in price, went up to about $20,000 for anybody who's a Bitcoin aficionado, they'll remember that time. Then after that, the bubble inevitably burst. It started to go down in price and I watched it go down in price for about two, three months. And then I thought to myself, okay, James, you're smart. You've waited. You knew this was going to happen. Now is your opportunity to make a move. And that was when I jumped in. But of course, that was a little too soon. I mean, I don't know where exactly I got the idea that it takes it it takes three months for a bubble to pop and recover again. I I, in hindsight, that was that made no sense whatsoever because I hadn't actually done any research into it. It was a little bit of this: lick my finger and put it in the air, see which way the wind is blowing. Okay, but I'm kind of glad I did because it to go down, and that was the greatest lesson I could ever learn. Because if it would have just went up continuously, I would have thought, well, I'm a genius. I've cracked this. Yeah, I'm obviously a hot shot. I'm obviously the smartest person who ever lived when it comes to investing. But there's no, there's no teacher like experience. And my ineptness was staring me in the face. And I thought, okay, somebody somewhere is making money out of this. What do they know that I don't? And that inspired this whole journey into reading and learning mm-hmm. about crypto specifically. But if you read and learn about crypto, you'll realize you can only get so far without actually understanding finance and the economy. Because the whole point of crypto is that it's an evolution of money. It's supposed to address the problems that traditional finance and the money has. Therefore, you can only get so far in your understanding until you begin to delve a little deeper. And then what happened was I just began to read and read and read. And this curiosity became an obsession. And I always had a rule of thumb for every dental book that I read, I'd read read a finance book. Okay. And for me at the time, I had spare time in my hands. So what I used to do was just read and read and read and read and read. And that was where my knowledge came from. Wow. That's, as, as I said, I mean, it's, it's quite a lot of focus reading finance books because, uh, you know, um, they can be sometime dry. <laughs> so, so you need to, you need to, you need Absolutely. to have They're a lot of coffee in your hand. Um, they're not, and, and that's why, to be honest, uh, it works, uh, to pay an edu- ed- educator like yourself because you make it interesting uh, and remove all the all the less fun bits, put the, the bits which is really, really important. So coming to that, uh, how did you decide to become an educator? Like, yes, you are researching it for yourself. Um, so how did you decide to say, okay, now I'm going to start teaching what I, what I, what I start doing? Great question. So it, for me, it was the classic example of you don't know how much you've actually learned until you meet someone who's at the beginning of their finance journey. And here's the thing, you know, I always think to myself or the, the classic, the, 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 with an expert, the expert always feels like they're one book away from attaining expert status. But the more books and things that you read, the more you realize that there's actually more questions. You just have more questions every single time. And all of these things are theories. And you'll realize that different authors say different things and you really, really get into it. And that's true knowledge. True knowledge is not like a linear path. True knowledge is like a labyrinth or a tree. And you have to have an understanding of how to negotiate it. You have to have an understanding of how it, all the different theories fit in together and complement each other. And that's when you really have hit that point where 
where your understanding is a huge amount. So for me, I never really felt like I'd actually reached that status where I knew anything. And any probably if you ask any expert in any subject, they really don't feel like they know anything. But then when you meet somebody who's at the beginning of their journey, you really understand how much you can help those people. It's a bit like driving a car, right? You know, when you watch someone drive a car for the first time, you have you are not conscious yeah. of how many subtle decisions you have to make every single second until you watch someone learning to how to drive a car. And it's almost it's almost strange because you've forgotten how much you've learned. And that tries that applies to every every yeah. single body of knowledge. So how that journey looked for me was I had all this knowledge. I really hadn't put two and two together and thought to myself, actually, probably other people will find this useful until I find myself in a position where I had a period of time, I had I had a sabbatical, I suppose, from dentistry because of a football injury that I had. And I started a Facebook group called Dentistry Invest, which is where we know each other primarily from, Dev, of course, and where most people listen to this podcast. Yeah. We know me from. It's the it's my main it's my it's my baby. It's the it's the main thing that catapulted me, I suppose, uh, you know, to, to to the where I am. And that that particular group, the questions that I could see people asking on there made me realize, number one, that actually I'd learned a few things because I was able to help those people. And then also, number two, the appetite for this knowledge in the dental world and also how much it could help people. Flipping crazy. Yes. I mean, um, as, as, as a dentist, you know, if you just do dentistry, it's good for, for income-wise. But, you know, at some point you do need to, because our work is very much dependent on us unless you own practices um it, you know if you can't work you stop earning so you know you have to think about passive income you have to think about second source of income which is not entirely reliant on you because dentistry at least for associates uh, is so much heavily reliant on us going to work um you know so so that's that that's why i i feel that and what you created dentists who invest there was nothing like that uh at the time as far as i can think of uh, at least in uk and 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 you know for dentists um i think that that really was the main reason and you know we got so much we still are getting so much value out of the group so thank you very much uh for for all the hard work you put in in order to you know um so uh, can you give us some golden nuggets then uh, on investing and how dentists should plan their investing journey? Uh, I know it's impossible, you know, to do all that in the podcast. But if you were to guide someone uh, who are not investing, um, do you have like step one, two, three in, in a very brief steps? Totally. Here is the best piece of advice that I can give and we'll build that into some steps. Okay. I feel like everybody thinks that investing is some sort of abstract concept that's crazy and there's a lot of know-how to do. Actually, before you get onto the investing, a lot of what you do with your money is just common sense. It's 80% behavior, 20% knowledge in my opinion. And the thing about it is, if you earn a million pounds, you can find a way to spend a million pounds. Do you know what I mean? There has to be some sort of upper limit in there somewhere. So what I would say to everybody is, at least to some degree, have some limit on how much is going out. Because what that means is, if unless you have that, then you'll always find a way to blow whatever's coming in. And dentists, because there's a lot coming in, oftentimes they think to themselves, oh, well, I'll just earn it back again. Oh, well, I'll just earn it back again. But actually, the, one of the key concepts in investing is that the earlier you start, 
the more the eventual returns are. So therefore, there needs to be some curtails. The earlier that you can think to yourself, actually, I'm going to at least have some control on how much is going out means the earlier that you can store away some money and the earlier that you can benefit from this passive income concept that we're talking about as well. So first thing that I would talk about, step one, acknowledge that investing is 80% behavior and 20% actual knowledge and do the common sense things and have some sort of limit on your spending. If anybody wants a great book that will help them a massive amount in order to at least have some sort of restrictions on what they do so that they're not going totally crazy every month, what I would do is I would look at the book Kakabo. Feel free to pick that up. The Japanese Art of Budgeting, you can find it on Amazon. It will help everybody immensely. It's the best six pounds 12 pence, I believe it is at the minute, that anybody can ever spend. You'll make that back within a day of owning the book, I swear, okay? Then after that, the second thing I would say is have pots, have pots in which you put your money. So what does that mean? Have, have different objectives for different piles of cash and understand that the, within those piles of cash, those are what you're going to use in order to grow yourself as an individual, educationally, but also grow your wealth as well. If you go to your FA, now I'm not here to bash FAs or anything like that. They do have a place. They'll look at wealth with blinkers on and they'll say, okay, contribute to your ISA, contribute to your pension, do all of these things, build your wealth, and in about 30 years' time, you'll be free, okay? And when I say 30 years, I'm not just plucking that out of the air. Usually it's a decade process, all right? Because generally speaking, growing your wealth takes quite a long time for it to actually kick in. And you can think of it more as a better place to store your money, a way that will pay you rather than a way that is constantly depreciating, i.e. inflation. But what those FAs will never talk about is they'll never talk about how to actually generate more wealth in the first place. And the main reason why that is, is because they're not a dentist. But because I'm coming at this from the angle of a dentist, I appreciate that the, the growing, the actual creating wealth is the thing that's going to put money in your hands straight away. And how does that look? It in, how that looks is having one of those pots that I talked about, investing in yourself, your clinical skills, and also your ability to sell. That is the most accessible place that a dentist can make more money bar none, and you'll never hear that angle from an FA. And it sounds obvious, and it is. And that all comes back to what I was saying, is the 80% behavioral thing. And you have to have some limit on your spending somewhere. And then what, once you do that, once you have an idea of that, what it means is you can invest in the greatest thing that can ever create wealth in the whole wide world in your dental career, and that is your brain and your pair of hands. That's step one and step two. There's step three and step four and step five and step two, okay? <laughs> probably going to take more than we have time for step one and two if you get those right and do of the course. simple things well i promise that's how you're going to put more wealth in your hands really quickly well thank you very much james for sharing that and you know i i, I it's it's a it's a great advice to start with saving uh because we you know there, there are so many leaks in our, our bucket and we don't even aware of it and you know we, we we are wasting so much money sometimes so um and i have used that book and you know i can vouch for that it's a really great book uh Kakabo, so uh, do buy them um and use them uh just don't keep it on the side which i did for a few months uh, until james told me to use it um <laughs> so uh, James, how do, how does your day look like? Because you are a super busy man. So uh, could you just give us a glimpse on your usual working day now? Because I believe you are not doing any clinical dentistry anymore. Is that correct? That is totally correct, my friend. So it's full time, full steam ahead. 
dentists who invest nine days a week. Wow. Okay. So, so that's a, that's a lot to, lot to, um, work, work because I can see that you're probably working Saturdays, Sundays, uh, you know, weekends is not a weekend anymore. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I think I've said this quote to you. I've, I think I've said this quote to you before a hundred million times, Dev, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it to the audience for the benefit of anybody who hasn't heard it. And I'm going to, I'm going to recommend a book off the back of it, which Dev, you've spent enough time with me to know that I love this book and I'm always going on about it, but I really think that this should be on the flipping curriculum somewhere, this book. Here's the quote. It comes from an author who absolutely loves what he does for a job. And he very neatly summarizes it in this quote. And this is the energy level that everybody should be playing life at. And if you're not playing life at this energy level, it's not good enough, in my opinion. What you do for a living should be 10 out of 10 in terms of pleasure. Not, and, and take that from someone who, loved, who thought he loved what he did. When I was in dentistry, it was 8 out of 10 for me. This is 10, right? And what do I mean by that? Here's the quote. I am always working, inverted commas, but to me it feels like play. And no one can ever work as much as they can play. I can play for 18 hours a day. It's harder for me to stop playing than it is to start. And so when people say to me, why am I always working? I say to them, it feels like play to me. And that's why by default, I'll be the best at what I do because I literally can't distinguish this thing that I do between playing and resting. I, 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 I love doing this so much. It's fun for me. Okay. And if you can find that thing, whatever that is, then by default, you'll become the best at it because it's literally harder for you to stop doing it than it is to start. And if you can become the best at something where the energy goes, the money flows and it comes back to you in terms of remuneration, in terms of impact, in terms of passion, in terms of enjoyment. And what that means is you never have to work a day in your life. And I know, I know, I know that that's the trite saying that's thrown around. And perhaps a few people will be saying, will be listening to this and thinking to themselves, well, he's just, you know, rhyming off metaphors at us. And I would have felt the same. I would have felt the same for so long. I used to read these books and think to myself, what a load of hippie mumbo jumbo. Okay. But you only really appreciate it when you find that thing. And if I could go back and do things again, what I would do is I would find that thing from day one because it's huge, it's massive. And how does that look for most people who are listening? It's about opening doors until you find the thing that's really, really, really cool. And you can put in so much energy to that thing that you'll automatically be the best at it and no one can ever, ever, ever beat you. And that's when you find your special place you really, really, really have. So for me, that is what I do now. That is Dentist Who Invest. For me, this is fun. I literally love doing this. I can do it all day long. And what that means is that I can bring that level of energy to pushing it and propelling it forwards. Because for me, it's not a nine to five. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't actually be a business. It wouldn't actually be anything if it was nine to five. It's like I said earlier, it's nine days a week. Okay. It's so many, so much effort. I know there's only seven days in a week. I, trust me. I know that everybody, but what I'm saying is it requires an absolutely insurmountable amount of effort, but if it's literally fun for you, then that's awesome. And that means that you can do it, whatever that thing is. And the book that I was talking about is called the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And I fully believe that book should be on the curriculum. I, after I read that book, I saw things in a totally different way. And it's basically a selection of quotes 
from an individual who's been incredibly successful in life. His name is Naval Ravikant, and he just lists those quotes off. It's a completely interpretive book. There's no start. There's no end. You can read it back to front, middle to end, middle to front, front to end, whatever way you fancy. And in there, there's so many little gems of knowledge that just cause you to see things from an entirely different perspective. And for anybody out there who wants to create a side gig or push themselves and become an entrepreneur, that is an essential book. So for me, that is why I am able to do the things that I do, Dev, because I have so much fun doing it. There's two things in life. I'm just going to round off what I'm saying right now by saying there's two things in life. There's things that take energy and there's things that give you energy, okay? Find the thing that gives you energy because it will lit- the more energy you put into that is the more energy you actually get back out. And then guess what? Guess what you can do with that energy? You can literally put it back into that same thing and it's a positive feedback cycle. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. I mean, if you are having fun compared to someone's working, um, that person who's working can never match your energy because you're having fun. And we know by default, when you're having fun, the energy level is much higher than we are just working. So, you know, you cannot beat person who is having fun um, at what they do. Um, and and that's, the, that's the way uh, to go. Now, we are talking about peak energy, peak performance, has there been ever a time where you felt burned out, uh, you know, overwhelmed? And how did you deal with that? Great question. And actually, it's funny you should say this because precisely 12 months ago, I was in a position where I was still in dentistry and I pushed myself so hard to simultaneously maintain my obligations with my dental job and also dentistry invest that not much sleep was happening. And I was, I was so, so incredibly busy that basically my health, and I wasn't exercising, I was eating takeaway only for convenience basically every day. And what happened was my health caught up with me and my body said no. And how that looked for me was when I, when I go through periods of extreme stress, I have a condition called ulcerative colitis and it only manifests whenever that is the case. It actually happened to me once prior before, which was for a variety of reasons, circumstances in my life meant that uh, I was, yeah, I was stressed and I wasn't getting much sleep. It happened to me once and I thought, well, I didn't really take it that seriously. I thought, okay, well, it's not going to happen again. I'm not going to put myself in that position. But lo and behold, because I didn't give it credence, uh, it did and it caught up with me. And what that meant was that I actually had to go to hospital and get some extremely strong anti-inflammatories, extremely strong steroids to bring that under control. It was two weeks virtually where I was out of action. And then what that meant was that it basically taught me where my upper limit was. But for me, you know, you can only really find your boundary unless you push it. And what happened to me after that was, say your average is normally five out of 10 in terms of your productivity. And what, what I did in that time was I pushed myself to 12 out of 10 beyond my, what my body could feasibly do. But once I recovered for that, my new average was 8 out of 10. And I know, I know precisely where 10 is from now onwards, right? And if I ever feel myself getting to that stage, I know when to stop. And I know how to manage it a lot more. I know what to prioritize in my life. I know to prioritize my health above all else. And really, if you do that, then what it means is that burnout never really catches up with you. And I feel like, here's the thing, there's a happy spot for everybody in their life. You know, My happy spot is really, really pushing myself and seeing how much I can achieve, how many people I can help and how successful I can become. So for me personally, to answer your question on that one, burnout 
it's something that I had to learn the hard way where the line was. But ever since then, I now know and understand how to modulate it. And I'm having so much fun. And if I ever stopped, Dev, if I ever stopped having fun doing this, I would, I would do something else. I don't think that's going to be the case. And what it means is if you're constantly enjoying yourself, if you're playing to bring it back to what I was saying earlier, how can you ever be burnt out when you're playing all day long and you're having fun? And for me, this is my, this is my happy spot. This is my sweet spot. Yeah. And, and, and for everyone, it's different, isn't it? I mean, for me, dentistry is my sweet spot. I mean, I, I love dentistry. I, you know, um, I, I can, I can read dental books all the time and that's all I read, to be honest. Um, and now I started reading other books, but I tend to listen, uh, books which are not dental related than read. Uh, if I've got time to read, I'll, I've got so many books, uh, which I need to still read, uh, dental related, but I never get old. Um, uh, it, the books never get so, I mean, I love dentistry, so I can completely relate with you because, you know, I get asked questions like, don't you get tired of doing dentistry all the time? So, no, this, for me, this is fun. <laughs> so I really enjoy yeah. it. Um, and, and I think, uh, but for everyone, it's different, isn't it? Um, now I was talking to actually one of my patients the other day and I was telling them that, you know, dentistry, it, or, or for that matter, any career is, is such that, you know, you enter the university knowing that, okay, you're going to do dentistry, but you don't know exactly whether you're going to like it or not. Although you might have done work experience and all that, you might have an idea that you might enjoy it. But until as you finish it, now that's five years down the line, right? And then probably you've done a couple of more years before you kind of realize that this is for you or not. That's seven years gone. Now, many times what happens with dentists or any profession for that matter, they, they find themselves in seven to 10 years down the line that, you know, they're not, it's not 10 out of 10 for them, right? It's five out of 10 or four out of 10 for them. But then that, that fear stuck, gets stuck that, oh, I don't want to lose. So, you know, people who want to jump ship in the sense that they don't want to do dentistry, want to do something else, pursue some other career which you did now, what would be your advice? I understand that, you know, you can't give advice in that sense without knowing the context, but, you know, um, should they just jump in or they start a second career first, see how they go and then, and then shift like you did. I mean, how, how would you advise them? Any, any tips for them? Here's the thing. I can 100% give some advice because I've been the person who's went through that in a way. And you're quite right. Whilst that's going to be a little broad, there'll be something that's in there for everybody, right? Here's an analogy, okay? Think about it like this. Imagine if you lived, you lived in a town and you lived in a townhouse, right? And across the street, you could see a restaurant, right? And that was a lovely French restaurant. It looked really good. It was a one-star Michelin restaurant, two-star, three-star, whatever, yeah? And you always thought to yourself, okay, I fancy going to that restaurant someday. I'd really love to go there, yeah? But what happens is every time you walk out of your house, you walk past it, right? Because you don't have the time, because you've got something else that's a priority, because you're just going to the shop, because you're going to see friends, you're going to visit a relative, whatever. And it never quite happens, right? Next thing you know, because you haven't taken any action, two years down the line, right? Three years down the line, whatever, four years, let's call it five years. It's a huge amount of time. You eventually go to the restaurant, right? Now you sit down in that restaurant 
you order your foods, you get nice and comfortable, food arrives, you take the first bite, and it is the best meal you've ever had in your life. It is so scrumptious and unbelievably tasty that you can't believe the taste buds, right? You have that, you have the starter, you have the you have the, the main, you have dessert. It's 10 out of 10. You get to the end, the waiter or waitress brings the bill over and it's £5.50, okay? And you can't believe your eyes, right? Because it's the best food you've ever had and it's so <laughs> unbelievably cheap. And you continue to eat there for the rest of your life, right? Think about it like this. That's five years of time that was wasted for you to potentially have that experience, right? But you had to put yourself out there and try the restaurant in the first place. And whilst it's good, you know, you're going to enjoy that restaurant. Part of you looks back and thinks, oh, well, that's five years. I've wasted a lot of time and money having inferior quality food in what was an unbelievable restaurant, right? Think about it like this. Your career is exactly like that, right? And it's put it like this. If you're waking up every day and doing something that you don't like and don't enjoy, and there's something that's immediately in front of you that you could try and you could find out that you enjoyed it and actually it was the greatest thing of all time. How do you know until you actually go to the restaurant, until you try it? But yet so many people will, will take drudgery. So many people will take five out of 10 and accept that it's good enough. Yeah, without actually really rolling the dice, you know? From, and for me, that's absolutely, absolutely insane, right? The thing about real life is there's no one behind you pushing you through the restaurant door, right? Maybe okay if you've got a coach or something like that, yeah? But that's the thing about real life. It's really, really easy to keep doing the same stuff when you know that there could be something better out there for you. And the thing about it is, it's not like you have to double down. It's not like you have to completely change your life circumstances or really put yourself out there to go and try a restaurant. Quite often, it's something that's easy to do. So why don't you just go and do it? That's the thing, yeah? And the thing about it is, the analogy actually works both ways. What if it's the best meal or what if it's the worst meal? You don't know until you've tried it. Yeah, it actually works either way. What if you never go to a restaurant for five years at all because you're planning to go to this French restaurant, you go there and it's the worst meal you've ever had in your life. The whole point is that you've learned. That's the whole point, right? You never get, you never get disheartened and never go to another restaurant ever again. That makes no sense just because you had a bad meal. That's like saying I once had a bad meal in a restaurant, now I refuse to go to a restaurant and have a nice meal ever, ever, ever again. Why no one would ever do that? Why is it the same? Why is it that we apply that logic when it comes to trying? Yeah, when you put it like that, it does make sense. <laughs> Obviously, there are there are other uh, aspects and everything uh, attached to it, but yeah, yeah. No, I'm listening to you, mate. I'm listening. Yeah, I want to hear your. I want to hear what you break down. Yeah, so I think I think so. There, there are other other aspects. That, you know, you have responsibility. You have kids. You got married. You got wife. You got you got parents. You need to take care of. So you know, it's it's a scary world to to switch uh, from one place to the other. Um, but ultimately, uh, what I have and, and and you know what I am lucky being. I'm lucky that you know the profession I am. I love it, um, and I can only. Uh, imagine how scary it would be to take that step out uh, and, and in you know a different world um and and start doing something you know which you want to do but you don't know how successful you will be um because someone's giving you you know dentistry gives you at least a living you know you, you're not going to 
you know, run out of food or something, you know, when you do dentistry. So um, whereas the other, other businesses, there's always a risk. So but I, I understand where you're coming from. And, and, you know, thank you very much for sharing that golden nugget, uh, which is really, uh, really helpful. So, you know, James, in this uh, podcast, um, we have um, a tradition that I ask every guest, um, how can you define the ultimate dentist? Yes, yeah, so the podcast is called Ultimate Dentist. Um, I know you are not uh, into dentistry at the moment, but if you were to define the word the ultimate dentist, how would you define it? Here's the thing. I painting with totally broad strokes. We tend to find dentists fit into one of two categories. They're either unbelievably gifted when it comes to the technical side of things and the theory and the knowledge, or they're an unbelievable people person, right? The ultimate dentist is the person whose technical skills are just beyond reproach, like unbelievably gifted and talented. And that can be in whatever specialism is their specialism, endo, implants, oral surgery, restorative, whatever, yet also has the communication ability to be able to describe those skills to a patient in a way that they can understand, be affable, friendly, be a shoulder to cry on, be firm when they have to be, be that individual that is an unbelievable level of emotional intelligence. That is the ultimate dentist. It's really rare to find both of those things married together. Wow. I mean, that is, that is uh, amazing definition. Uh, I will nick that uh, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, so, and lastly, Please, please tell us how can we find you, your courses, uh, when, where can we find the information about more about your courses, what's coming next? Um, you know, you have a Bitcoin course, you have a dentist to invest. Uh, is there anything new in pipeline and how can we get hold of those information? 110%. The easiest way to connect with me is via my Facebook group. It's where it all began. It's where the magic continues to happen. There's still a lot of love poured into there. I have a ton of fun running it and it's a pretty big community now. And that Facebook group is Dentists Who Invest. Feel free to reach out to me on there once you've joined. James Martin, I do reply to every single message that I receive. And here's the one, one of the things I want to say before I go. The thing about dentistry is creating extra wealth is actually one of the easiest professions that you can do that when you have the right perspective there's two there's two components to the wealth to wealth and here is the sphere of wealth if you imagine like a sphere in front of you and you call that sphere wealth and you split it in two there is building wealth and creating wealth building wealth is when you invest your money and you grow and it builds with time like you build a house brick by brick creating wealth is what are the things that are actually going to put more money in your hand virtually straight away? And there's four of those things. And this is a flipping gem, okay? Because it took me ages to figure this out. And here's the gem laid out in front of you so that you can understand where you have to go if you want to make more money tomorrow as a dentist. First one, your ability at sales, your ability to describe value to the patient. That's all that sales is. If you're good enough at describing value, you sold without even selling. Accountancy. Most dentists are sitting on a huge saving if you're a private dentist by understanding a little bit of accountancy. Most accountants are reactive, not proactive. Therefore, they're not having these conversations. Four, sorry, three before we get on to four, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Three is the Kakabo and spending reviewing. Just having a little bit of a think about how much money is going in and out every month. That is one of the greatest ways that you can save virtually instantaneously a huge amount of cash. I had a lady on one of my courses. She did the Kakabo. She realized she was spending a thousand pounds every month that she didn't have to. 
okay? Forget about investing. There's a thousand pounds in your pocket every single flipping month. Number four is a business. Whether you're an associate or a principal, you're a business in a way. Becoming a business is a, becoming a better business is about coming, becoming more efficient, having to think about how you do things, not just blindly hammering away in the ways that you've always known, because chances are they're not the most inefficient ways. There's those little tweaks that can literally put more cash in your hands. That is the dental sphere of wealth. That is my gift to everybody. There's more on that on the group. These are what my courses are centered around as well. As you can, well, as you can see, this is the whole point to actually generate dentists more money to do the sexy stuff versus also growing their wealth as well. Plus, as well as that, when you have somebody behind you to push you in the right directions, to make the right decisions, the whole point is that you get to where you want to be, except 10 times faster because you've had some help along the way. And this is all done from here and for anybody who can't see where I'm pointing right now because they're listening to the audio and not watching the video I'm pointing to my heart and that's what makes it special it's personal finance the clues in the name it has to be personal well thank you very much James and you know uh, thank you very much for giving so much value and whoever you know have you know haven't looked out uh, James courses please please I highly recommend you know check out his courses uh, I've done uh, I've done one and doing another one and you know uh, he gives so much value so I highly highly recommend uh, check out his courses and uh, you know um, thank you very much James for your time and generosity and you have been amazing thank you very much take care dude it's my pleasure it's an honor and a privilege to be here and thank you so much and congrats on launching the podcast they're a heck of a lot of fun